May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. Uh, I forgot to put the microphone on this morning, which was a minor oversight. Uh, there's no batteries in it, so... Um, can you all hear me? That's right. So, uh, for the next 12 weeks... So, this is the third week we've heard from Romans, and for the next 12 weeks we're going to continue to hear from Romans, uh, Paul's letter to the Romans... And I thought that was a good opportunity to spend some time actually looking at, the book, at Paul and uh, his letter to the Romans. Mostly, um, we hear a passage from Paul most Sundays in our, as our epistle, not every Sunday, but most Sundays. Uh, and I tend not to preach or to mention them in the sermons at all, partly because they're usually quite dense and deserve a sermon on their own, uh, and partly because... Um, I focused on the Gospels as the primary way that we come to know who God is, uh, and then we come to know who we are, and then what is ours to do. So the, the Gospels for the last five and a half years have been my focus, but I thought uh, since we're going to be in Romans for three months, it was a good opportunity to just spend some time with Paul, who is a significant figure, as we will see in the New, in the New Testament but I thought it would be good, uh, rather than diving straight into that, to just spend uh, today thinking about who is Paul and why is he important, and then some introductory comments about uh, his letter to the Romans. So, who is Paul? What do we know about St. Paul? Paul of Tarsus. Paul of Tarsus. So he grew up in a Greek-speaking part of the world, uh, which is... Uh, so if you read the Greek of his letters and compare that to the Greek of the Gospels, um, as Ian said a number of years ago, it's full of mistakes, and it is. It's the mistakes of someone who is a native speaker and is just putting out his letter. It's really complicated Greek. When I was doing my second year in Greek, we were given one sentence from Galatians to translate. After two hours, none of us were even close to what he was saying. It's dense and it's complicated. The Gospels, with a, lex- with a le- lexicon, you can pretty much read those at the end of your first year of, of Greek. The sentence structure works. It's pretty, it's pretty basic Greek. And, um, I mean, you need help with the meaning of the words, but not Paul. You need a few more years of Greek before you can get to grips with what he's on about. So that's the first thing. What else about him? Hmm? He travelled a, a lot. He's a missionary, a missionary to the Gentiles. Uh, and so his travelling is important. Thousands and thousands of kilometres he travelled. What else does anyone know about Paul? He was Saul. He was Saul. So when did that change? The road to Damascus. The road to Damascus. So his conversion on the road to Damascus, where he was going to persecute the church, and that's an important event for him because he called himself an apostle. Now, when, uh, the, when they elected the 12th apostle, Matthias, in Acts, one of the criteria for who that person would be was that they had to know the, ris- the risen Jesus. So they had to have known him when he was alive, died, risen. Well, that's not Paul, is it? He said... He met the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus. And it was that event that allowed him to 
to meet the criteria for being an apostle. So he, he, he wasn't appointed apostle by any of the other apostles. He wasn't appointed by some church body. He just said, Jesus called me to be an apostle. I met the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus. I'm an apostle. So he kept having to argue that because there were a number who said, no, you weren't. You weren't there when Jesus was around. You're not a real apostle. So point of contention. Anything else we know about him? He had a messenger of Satan calling the bush, got the building, and so basically he was under the top of the narrative. Yeah, yeah, born in the flesh. We don't know what that was. Um, there are all sorts of ideas about that, but uh, it was something that kept him humble. Anything else? So Luke's Acts of the Apostles, half of it is actually about Paul. It's not actually very much about the Apostles at all. Most of them don't get a mention very much, apart from kind of quick mention towards the beginning. And then there's a little bit about Peter and John. And then it's all about Paul after that. So it's really the Act of the Apostle Paul. He was a tent maker. So that's important because when he did his missionary stuff, he would just go and live and work in the tent maker's quarter of a city. And in the course of his living there and conversing with people, he would then gather people around him who were interested in what he had to say. And out of that formed the house churches that he created. So it meant that he was not dependent on anyone and it actually gave him his way into conversations with people around uh, the Mediterranean. Anything else? He did. A lot of time in prison, whipped, uh, and some of that was illegal because he was a Roman citizen. Um, so through one of his parents, he was actually a citizen of Rome, which gave you all sorts of entitlements that non non citizens weren't entitled to. So that meant last week we remembered his death, uh, Peter and Paul's death. Peter, non-Roman citizen, was crucified. Paul, Roman citizen, was beheaded. So the way of death was much quicker and much more humane. Anything else? Shipwrecked. Shipwrecked. Yep. Shipwrecked. Uh, He was a theologian. Uh, probably one of the very first theologians within the church, but not in the way that we understand that word. We often think of theologians of people who hide away in universities and write systematic treatises and make sure that everyone believes the right thing. Uh, Paul, I mean, that kind of theologian doesn't exist for about the first thousand years. If you look at all the names of theologians that we remember in our calendar, they're all bishops. Um, so their reason for doing theology was pastoral. They wanted people to be able to live out their faith. And so that was why they wrote what they wrote. And the same with Paul. He wanted people to live out the faith. And so he wanted them to be clear about that. So it wasn't about believing the right thing, having good doctrine, having all the T's crossed and the I's dotted. It was about how people lived out their faith. Um, So this might surprise some of you, but he was a radical 
he was uh, like we often it amazes me when conservative Christians use Paul to justify their conservative positions. Paul would be deeply unhappy about that. He was not a conservative. He was a, a radical, which is why he kept getting into trouble. His understanding of Judaism radically changed on that road to Damascus. He always was a Jew. He never stopped being a Jew. That's a very important thing that we'll keep coming back to because we are tempted to believe that on the road to Damascus he suddenly became a Greek thinker. But he never was a Greek thinker. He was a Jew. He understood the gospel and through Jewish eyes he understood what Jesus was on about as fulfilling the Jewish hopes. He was a Jew. But he was a radical Jew. He said you didn't have to be a Jew to follow Jesus. You did not have to live Torah to be a follower of Jesus. That's a pretty radical thing to say for a Pharisee. And that's the last thing. He was a Pharisee before he had that experience on the road to Damascus. So he knew the Torah inside out, backwards and forwards. He knew his scriptures. So for him to renegotiate his knowledge, his understanding of what the whole Christ event, what Judaism was about, was radical. And there are some who would say he was a misogynist, but I think that doesn't fit with the radical piece. So we'll talk a bit about that in a moment. So why, uh, why should we pay attention to him? Well, his letters dominate the New Testament. 24%, a quarter of the New Testament, are letters attributed to Paul. Now, he didn't write all, all of them, but they are attributed to him. And so that's a lot. That's a lot of our, our, our scriptures written by or attributed to one person, more than anyone else. And half the book of Acts is about it as well, so that kind of boosts it. Um, that 24% doesn't include Hebrews because Hebrews was not anything to do with Paul. His name was just attached probably 200 years after he died to help give it credibility, to help it get into the accepted canon of the New Testament. So we didn't, they just didn't get the New Testament. Plonk, here's the New Testament, it's all good. There were a whole lot of Gospels and there were a whole lot of letters and there were a whole lot of other things that circulated for about 200 to 300, 250 to 300 years. And then in the early 300s, uh, church councils got together and there were by that point a kind of accepted group of letters and Gospels that people used. And they were the ones that were authorised as Scripture. But it took 250 to 300 years to get to that point. So Paul's letters, or letters attributed to him, were amongst those that were kind of floating around. And Hebrews was one of those. And to give it a bit of oomph, somebody put Paul's name on it. But it wasn't Pauline in any way at all. And most people would say, not Paul. There are a few that still, because it's got his name on it, will say it was Paul. But most would say no. Uh, the, the second thing is that they um, that their, the number the percentage of the New Testament that's attributed to him is out of all proportion to his importance in the early church. So he was just this radical missionary off doing his thing amongst the Gentiles. 
The real, the real power boys were James and Peter. James was the head of the church in Jerusalem, the mother church. All the other churches looked to Jerusalem, so they looked to James for their leadership. And Peter, well, Peter was on this rock, I will build my church. And he is traditionally the one who founded the church in Rome. And yet we have two letters from Peter, 2% of the New Testament, and one letter from James, about the same percentage. Now, does that mean they didn't write letters? I would think they wrote exactly the same number of letters as Paul. But for some reason, despite their importance, their letters got lost and Paul's letters got kept. And I think in part that was because of the huge schism which happened with the fall of Jerusalem in 70. Up to 70, most Christians were Jewish. After 70, that percentage swung to Gentile. And at that point, Paul becomes the dominant figure. He's long gone, he's dead, but his writings become important because he is the one that talks about what it means to be a Gentile Christian. Peter and James, they're talking about what it means to be a Jewish Christian. They never stopped living Torah. So um, that's, I think, one of the main reasons why that happens. So his letters are important because they dominate our scriptures. They're also the first parts of our New Testament to be written. The Gospels were written well after Paul died. So his letters are written from the late 40s until the mid-50s. The first Gospels, they think, Mark's Gospel was in the 60s, maybe even in the 70s. And certainly they think Luke and Matthew was in the 70s and John probably not till the 90s. Now they, they were using material that was around much earlier than that, but in their form, pretty much as we have them today, well after when Paul was writing. So Paul is our kind of glimpse into the very early church, particularly in the Gentiles. He didn't write all of them. All the letters that we have attributed to Paul, uh, he probably didn't write by hand many of them at all. We know he dictated a number of them. We know that because in the book to Romans, if you read right at the end, the scribe says, oh, and by the way, hi from me. Kind of words like that. So scribes wrote some of those as he dictated it. And there is a thinking that for maybe two of them, he just said to some of his disciples, uh, could you write a letter to these people and say these things? You know the kind of thing I'd say if you could just write that for me, please. That would be great. And the two letters where that may have happened are Ephesians and Colossians because their style, it kind of is Pauline, but it's not the same as the other letters. And so there's some debate about whether they are Paul's or whether they were written later by disciples after he died. They're the kind of two of the ones that don't quite fit. And then there are a number of others that just, most scholars would say, came well after he died. Partly because some of the things they talk about contradict what, that, what Paul says in his, the letters we know he wrote, and partly because they're dealing with issues that Paul's churches wouldn't have had to face yet. His churches were brand new. They were trying to work out what it meant to be Christians in a very hostile world. They were seen as atheists. They didn't believe 
in the gods of Rome. They didn't sacrifice in the temple, so they were atheists. And so there was a lot of pressure on them. They lived a completely different set of morals than anyone else. Uh, And so Paul's letters are all about those kind of issues. Whereas some of the later letters, the pastoral letters, are all about, they're really written to churches who have been established and around for a while. They're not under, well, they're not under the same kind of pressure. They're not trying to work out to the same degree what it means to be Christian. And they're dealing with issues about we are an established community, so how do we do things like authorise leadership? How do we recognise ministry? Well, in Paul's time, that was easy. Paul did it. He didn't have to ask those questions. After he died, those are the issues that then become prevalent. So it's thought there are a number of letters that were written by people who knew Paul, knew his writings, and they were using those writings to address the new issues. But they were not written by Paul. So if we have a look, these are the letters that mostly are definitely thought to be by Paul. Romans 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Philippians, Philemon, and 1 Thessalonians. There's a few people that debate 1 Thessalonians, but most people would say he wrote that. Ephesians and Colossians. The jury's out on this. You'll, say, you'll hear some people say, yep, he wrote them, he was just having a bad day. You'll have some people say, uh, he, wrote, uh, he, kind of, he kind of wrote them, like these are the letters he said to his, one of his disciples. Could you write a letter to the Ephesians? I'm concerned about this, I'd like you to say this. If you could write that letter for me and take it to them, that would be great. So kind of Pauline, but the language isn't quite, doesn't fit. His sentence structure doesn't fit. With, the, with all the other letters. And then, and then there's others who say, no, 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 it's not Paul at all, they were written much later. So there's kind of a lot of discussion about that. And then these are the ones who were written later, written by disciples in his name um, to give them more validity, which was a common practice. Like today we go, oh, that's, that's wrong, that's fraud. But in those times, that was a common practice, not fraud, not frowned on. 2 Thessalonians 1 or 2 Timothy and Titus. Now those of you who may be concerned about Paul's attitude to women will notice that most of the passages that we don't like about women are in those letters. So not Paul, but later thinking about Paul. Obviously he was bald. So all the icons of him have him as being bald. I couldn't find any with hair on him, so... That gives me hope. Uh, One of the things we need to notice about Paul's letters was they were letters. They were occasional letters written off the cuff to particular people about particular issues at a particular time. Paul did not sit down and say, today I'm going to write a letter that people will read for centuries to help them on their journey in faith. The gospel writers kind of did say that. I mean, yes, they were writing it to a particular community at a particular time, but there was a real sense that more than their community would read it and these would be around for a while. But Paul's letters, when you read them, some people think he was deliberately provocative in some of his language, and some people think "Hmm, maybe he should have reread that before he sent it. So they were written to particular people for particular issues. And sure, we can read them today, but to help read them, we really should pay attention to who they were written to and what were the issues that he was addressing 
and what was the culture they were living in? What is the assumed knowledge behind them? And I think we often forget to do that third one. The cultural package that he doesn't talk about because everyone knows it. So why talk about it? The one exception to that is Romans. Now in Paul's time when you wrote a letter, there was no postal service. You couldn't stick it in the post and it wouldn't appear in somebody's letterbox a few days later. Or you push send and it appears on their computer immediately. In Paul's time, someone had to take the letter for you. And so it's actually thought that most of his letters were dictated and written by a scribe. And then Paul and the scribe would talk about that letter. And then that scribe would take the letter to that community. And as that community gathered, they would read that letter. And then they would answer any questions about that letter. And they would use that letter to teach as part of the services. So we have this bald letter, whereas the original hearers had a person that came with the letter who could talk about what Paul meant by what he said in the letter. Wouldn't that be helpful today? It would be very helpful, but we don't have that, so we have to kind of do the work ourselves. And the fourth thing to note is that even the letters that Paul wrote that we can be confident that he wrote, they have been edited through the ages. And they are not exactly the letters that Paul wrote. So one of the examples of that is 2 Corinthians, we usually treat as one letter, but there are a number of scholars who would say that that is probably at least two letters and possibly three letters that were on different bits of paper, but were all put on the same scroll, smushed into one. And if you kind of tease them apart, they actually work as two letters. And later, later on in 2 Corinthians, actually refers to stuff that he's talked about in the first part of 2 Corinthians, that there is an assumed gap of time where they've had time to do something about the stuff that he's talked about earlier in 2 Corinthians. So more than likely, two letters, maybe three letters, have been pulled together into one scroll, one letter. So that's one of the things that's been edited. But there are also passages where clearly, for some reason, somebody has inserted a passage into the middle of his letter. So an example of that is 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14 to chapter 7, verse 1, which just kind of gets dumped into the middle of this argument, kind of argument, change direction, resume argument from earlier. If you take out those verses and put the two bits back together, it reads really well. And you think, why did you put that in there, Paul? Well, most scholars say he didn't put it in there. Somebody else did later on, one of the scribes. Another example of that, so this is not so universally accepted, but a number of scholars would suggest 1 Corinthians 14, verses 34 to 35, which is placed in the middle of a discussion around prophecy. In the middle of that, Paul seems to suddenly say, women should be silent in church. If you take that piece out, it reads really well. You put it back in and you think, what what were you thinking, Paul? And the real question mark about that is, why would he say that when the letter is addressed to a number of women who were clearly in leadership in the church? 
All his letters are addressed to men and women. Women played significant leadership roles in his church. So why would he tell them to be quiet? Probably didn't. Probably that was inserted later, once the men had kind of reasserted their place of dominance, and then they went back and went, actually, we could pretend Paul was telling them to be quiet. But it wasn't Paul, it was someone else. So actually, in terms of women, most people would say Paul was a radical. His church was radical. Women played leadership roles. They were people of influence in his churches. And it was later that men, as often happens down history, kind of went, no, 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 women should be silent, they should be on the edges, they should do what we say, please get them out of the leadership roles. That's not Paul. Paul was the radical in this. All right then, the letters to the Romans, just a few quick comments about that. They've already gone on way too long. The first thing to note is that the letter to the Romans is unique. He did not found this church. All the other letters were to, to churches he founded. He did not found the church to Rome. So all the other letters, he'd already lived with them for six months to a year. He knew them, they knew him, he could be brutally honest with them because they knew him and he knew them. But the Romans, he did not know them to that degree. Some of them knew him, but not very, not as well as to the churches he'd founded, and some knew of him. But it wasn't the same degree of relationship. This is thought to be one of, definitely, the last of the books that he definitely wrote. So it's a kind of summary of everything that he was thinking. And because he is not writing to people he knew, and because he is not writing for particular issues, this is a much more well-thought-out book. This is not off the cuff. He is actually writing this not so that people can read it for centuries to come. He has a particular issue in mind, but it's a much more well-thought-out, planned letter. So if you want to know what Paul thinks, Romans is the place to go. And then you can go to the other books and read them in light of what he says in Romans. Uh, He writes it because... He wants those churches in Rome to support him in his missionary activity in Spain. He says that at the beginning and again at the end. So it's to elicit their support. And so he's writing ahead of time before he comes. He never gets there, he never does that missionary journey, but that's why he wrote that letter. And uh, the last thing I want to comment on is that we often talk about this as being Paul's letter to the church in Rome. But it seems reasonably clear to some writers, particularly Catherine Grieve and others, and Catherine was out here a few years ago at one of our theological hooies, that there was, in fact, a number of churches in Rome, small house churches, and some of those house churches were Jewish, So to be a Christian meant you had to be a Jew and you had to follow Torah and they were very happy for Gentiles to be Christians but they had to become Jews and they had to follow Torah. And then there were a number of house churches that were Gentiles that went, nah, not going to have anything to do with that. We're not going to be Jewish. We're going to follow Paul. We are going to stay Gentile but we can still be followers of Christ. Now, not surprisingly, because of that difference, there was a lot of discussion and argument 
between those house churches. They were deeply divided. And the purpose Paul, of Paul writing his letter is to help them kind of look beyond these very important issues that separate them to what unites them. That's why Catherine was out here as we were thinking about how do we look beyond what separates us as a church and how do we look at what unites us so that we can work together. Still an issue for us as a church. So Paul is writing to them saying, yes, these issues are huge, but they're not the end of the world. You have to look beyond what unites us. What unites us? Our common faith in the gospel of God, Jesus Christ. That's where we have to look. And if we can look and work together, then you can come together and support my mission to Spain. You are of no use to each other and to me if all you're doing is fighting. Get over your fighting. Stop focusing on what separates you. Look at what unites you. Then you can support my mission to Spain. That's why he wrote the book. And so his book is written to do that and the theology he then talks about is the theology that can hold them together. And that's why this letter is the important one of all of his letters because it's where he spells out clearly how he understands the gospel of God that will hold them together. And we will spend the next few weeks when I'm here looking at some of the big themes that appear in Paul's letter to the Romans. That's probably enough to think about today. And I've gone on way too long, so we'll just move straight to the prayers, I think.